I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. So I'm joined in the studio this evening by Jim. Good evening. Briar. Good evening. And our honored guest this evening, Mr. Raymond Iglesias, the Honorable Raymond Iglesias, and uh, Mr. Mike Elfenbein. Let me have you guys introduce yourselves. We'll go with Raymond first. Good evening. I'm uh, Raymond Iglesias. I'm actually a Henry County Commissioner, uh, recently elected last November. However, I am the general manager at Roland Marion Martins Marina. And Mr. Mike Elfenbein. I am Mike Elfenbein. I am, uh, well, as titles go, I am the conservation chair for the Cypress chapter of the Isaac Walton League. And um, coincidentally, I happened to start receiving mail to my address with Honorable as well. A couple of months ago, I joined the Charlotte County Soil and Water Conservation District, um, where I was named the co-chair. You know, Mike, what I noticed after getting, after getting elected, they'll, they'll hand that title out to anybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, the two of us have it, so I mean. <laughs> so we, we are here tonight to discuss House Bill 579, uh, which has a lot to do with Lake Okeechobee, or it's it's a lot of the uh, the program is happening on Lake Okeechobee right now, correct? But yes, it is uh, aquatic plant management House Bill five seventy nine filed by uh, State Representative Lauren Mello, um, and essentially, uh, in a nutshell, it directs the FWC to work in conjunction with the University of Florida IFAS and the Water School at FGCU to actively seek out and implement different opportunities and projects that account for mechanical harvesting of aquatic vegetation and biomass and uh, use it uh, with innovative technology to restore the nutrients that are harmful in the lake back to the landscape where they are a, a benefit for conservation. That sounds pretty noble, Mike. And it sounds, it seems like the bill applies to a much broader scope than Lake Okeechobee. Is that correct? So it can specifically, um, it does apply to Lake Okeechobee, but, um, you guys might know if you were to look up on the Florida department of environmental protections website, you can look up all of the impaired water bodies in the state of Florida. And I think there isn't one that isn't impaired. So yes, definitely. Um, if we can solve, uh, if we can provide an, an additional tool to improve the condition of Lake Okeechobee, we could certainly apply that same tool to other lakes in the state. Fantastic. But, you know, Lake Okeechobee being such a massive body of water, um, just to cover some, some stats on that, it's the eighth largest freshwater lake in the United States, the second largest lake in the United States that's continually surrounded by the U.S., you know, because the others are the Great Lakes or there's a pretty good sized chain up in um, Minnesota that also parallels into Canada. You know, it's 36 miles long, 29 miles wide. It's got 734 square miles of surface area and holds about a trillion gallons of water. 
um, inflowed by what uh, Fish Eating Creek, the Kissimmee River, and Taylor Creek. And then the outflows are the Caloosahatchee on the west, the St. Lucie on the east, and then everything else flows south in the river grass, correct? Is that a pretty decent summary? That's a great summary. But what's important to uh, point out is when you talk about the Kissimmee, you got to realize that as, as the water levels increase in Lake Okeechobee, you got to realize that 95% of that water is coming from that northern watershed. Reality is if you've ever been to Disney World, about a mile from Disney World off the interstate, there's a sign that says Shingle Creek, the headwaters to the Everglades. And that really is where it all starts. That's on Sand Lake Road in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's there where that go. sign is. Yep. I've seen that one. Yep. It's, it's amazing how all of our waterways are connected. Uh, you hear the saying, uh, all waterways lead to the ocean. And eventually they do, but it seems like all of the ones in Florida, just about all of them lead to the Everglades <laughs> in some way or another. And Lake Okeechobee, if you're not from Florida, is in any map, pretty much no matter the age, is that eye that you see in the in South Florida, the big lake down there. Yeah, visible from space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, the, the lake is also, you'll, you'll also hear it, uh, referred to regularly as the liquid heart of the Everglades, um, being that it's uh, geographically located in the center of the system, Orlando being the northernmost uh, the, or headwaters of the Everglades and uh, Florida Bay being uh, the southernmost region of the Everglades ecosystem. Um, so it's important, like with a human heart, um, knowing it's the heart of the Everglades, it's important to recognize that the heart of Lake Okeechobee and its health dictates the health of the rest of the system. So um, it, that's kind of why this lake is so important and such a big um, source of attention in, in the media and, and in our communities in South Florida. What you see behind me guys is actually the view of, I mean, of course it's a virtual background, but that's what Lake Okeechobee looks like. If you listen to the media, it would tell you that it's a algae infested cesspool. Is that a good analogy, Mike? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty common. I think I think at one point or another, all of us have been down there fishing at it at one time or another. Have you not? Never been to Lake Okeechobee. Oh, man. Me either. Well, well I've been down there. <laughs> I, I know a great place you can go to. <laughs> yeah, Raymond, why don't I imagine. You- Raymond, why don't you tell them about the great success from your bass tournament this weekend? Um, you guys know that Lake Okeechobee is one of the greatest bass fisheries in the country. I mean, yeah. forget oh, yeah. the state, but in the, people travel here from all over the world to enjoy the lake and its fishery. But uh, Raymond, uh, had, yeah, I'd love for Raymond to share with you his great success there. Yeah, please do. So, so uh, Saturday we had our fourth qual- qualifier of the year. It's a series we started uh, six years ago, uh, it's a hundred percent payback fishing tournament where the anglers get back all their money and entry fees. We pay out 80% uh, during the qualifiers and the other 20% go into the championship here on December the 11th, we're actually going to crown a champion. And it looks like by the way, it's um, going that we'll crown a champion with a $35,000 payout with about a $75,000 payday. But this past weekend we had 142 teams battle on the big O and um, the weather didn't let up. I mean, there was some rain and wind. It was brutal for them. But at the end of the day, I think it was a close to a 25 pound sack that won it for a five fish limit on a single day of fishing. 
that's a pretty dang good, pretty that's dang good, good sack in a five fish limit. And yeah, it is. When you, like you were saying earlier, you know, with a view of the the lake behind you, there is your virtual background. It, if you listen to what you see in the mainstream media, you would never think you'd be able to pull twenty five pounds worth of fish on a five yeah. fish limit oh. out of a lake like that. No, that's a good point. And reality on it, I mean, and it's not fishing as it should. The water level right now is about 1606, um, which is higher than we wanted. We really want to operate the lake between a 12, 12 and a half foot to a 15 and a half foot, meaning uh, we want to be at 15 and a half feet when we're, we're going into the dry season. And uh, long story short, that's a, a, another battle probably for another day. But the way it's going, they're trying to keep the lake at a higher level moving on through this new uh, schedule that's coming out in 2023, uh, which is not going to be good for the lake. And or the better yet, it's not going to be good for the health of the lake, and it's not going to be good for the Everglades as much as they want to say it will be. You know, previously we had Newton Cook from uh, United Waterfowlers on, and he, he briefly touched on why the 15-foot mark is probably ideal loosely touched on why some folks want it higher and some folks want it lower. Can you, can you resummarize that real quick just for some of our listeners? Yeah. I wish I actually had my prop here, Mike. Can you believe I don't have my jar with me today? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, people can't see it on the podcast anyway. Yeah. I've, okay, good. So I, um, what you got to keep in mind is, so the lake is turbid, right? The, the water is tannic and reality is on the bottom of this lake, there's, you know, depending on the area that you're in a foot, two foot, three foot of sediment on the bottom of the lake. And as water gets churned up by the wind and wave action, it, it puts that, that, that sediment back into the water column, darkens that water, it becomes more tannic. But well, when you have higher water levels, the sun cannot penetrate uh, the water, losing the photosynthesis process. And when you lose that photosynthesis process, that grass is not gonna grow. And the importance of that grass getting the sunlight is it's going to be our filter for the lake, for that liquid heart. And, and we're going to lose it. I mean, to be honest with you, we're, I kind of told the Army Corps of Engineers colonel here a month and a half ago that when they straighten out the Kissimmee River, they essentially put Lake Okeechobee in a coffin. And if they don't pull the right, uh, pick the right plan with the Lowson plan on, on dictating the water level, they'll drive the nails in that coffin. Got it. So the brief summary is too much water, not enough sunlight, all the plants die. Then you had compounding problems because you've got all the dying biomass in yep. addition to the phosphorus and nitrogen and the other headaches that the lake's already dealing with. Is that, is that fair? To, is that fair? I'm asking, actually asking a question. Though so, yeah, yeah, so I'll jump in, Raymond, if you let me in. I'm going to try to bring it back. But um, that's sort of how this House Bill 579 came to be, is that one of – one of the big problems, in addition to what Raymond mentioned, is the fact that the lake has um, high nutrient levels, um, levels of nitrogen and phosphorus, but specifically phosphorus um, and its relationship to nitrogen, which contribute to the harmful algal blooms, those uh, blue-green algae blooms that um, we hear so much about that uh, you obviously didn't see in the in the background behind Raymond, but um, and House Bill 579 hopes to work towards removing all those nutrients out of the lake. Right, um, the nutrients that um, es essentially feed those blooms and um, also feed the aquatic vegetation that Raymond's 
mentioning, right? So that aquatic vegetation, the submerged aquatic vegetation and emergent vegetation, the, the natural vegetation that grows around the lake at one point was about 50,000 acres. And I think today we have somewhere around 5,000 acres. Um, and a lot of that is a result of high water levels uh, that are exceeding levels. Raymond mentioned the 12 and a half to 15 and a half foot level. As those levels come up. So Mike, how does the water level in Lake O um, refer to House Bill 579? Good question. So House Bill 579 um, is addressing the nutrient load in the lake. And by reducing the nutrient loads in the lake, we reduce some of those harmful algal blooms, which eventually, as, as they decay through the system and the aquatic vegetation decays in the system, continues to contribute to that decayed matter, that biomass, those heavy nutrient loads that are accumulating at the bottom of the lake. So House Bill 579, aims to find ways to remove those nutrients from the lake and try to get, get the nutrient levels in the lake back to something that is more sustainable for the entire system. Great. And then by reducing those nutrient loads, we should reduce the algal blooms. And the algal blooms, for those that aren't following, that's what's happening when the lake gets high. They have to dump the lake. It runs out the Caloosahatchee, runs out the St. Lucie, starts causing compounding problems out up and down the coasts, red tide and whatnot, correct? Correct. So there All was right. a, um, there was a study, Jim, uh, conducted, I'd like to say it was published about two years ago. Uh, it was published by Dr. Dan Canfield. He's a limnologist at the University of Florida, IFAS in Gainesville. He's been doing this for something like 30 years. Um, and I don't remember the title off the top of my head and we can add it later if you need to, but, um, essentially there's about 13,000 metric tons of phosphorus in Lake Okeechobee, 13,000 metric tons locked in Lake Okeechobee. We add to that annually on average about another 500 metric tons, the allowable level, the levels that the state dictates are sustainable are 140 metric tons and 35 of that is supposed to be accounted for in atmospheric nitrogen. So us people, the system should only be contributing about 105 metric tons um, to give you an idea of the scale of what we're talking about here. So the, the problem is immense and without getting into all the, there's a lot of history and where it came from and, we're, this bill primarily focuses on reducing a portion of that load from the decaying or ways to treat the decaying matter that's in the lake that's exacerbating that problem, right? Correct. So, so there's a go ahead. In attending, and Raymond can attest to this, in attending a lot of meetings, especially water management district meetings and Army Corps meetings, everybody understands the magnitude of this is great. And the saying you often hear mentioned is, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. So it's immense, but it's only going to get bigger if we don't start addressing it. So before we get into, you've got a pretty innovative technique 
that I think we're going to address. But right now, what are some of the options to remove the the biomass from the lake at this point? Uh, so I, I don't think that anything is being done at this point. Or, or I, let me take that back. I don't think much has been done at this point. Uh, several years ago, when the lake uh, was in a drought state, the state of Florida took the opportunity to scrape up some of that muck on the bottom of the lake where those nutrients are, and they stacked them strategically on the northwest side of the lake. Um, that seemed to help. Um, the, the marsh definitely came back as a result of that. Uh, but I guess time will tell what what the ultimate gains were. Um, currently, I know that FWC has been working extremely hard to find solutions and tools uh, to address these issues. Um, one that I know they're working on because I've been advocating heavily for it is a technique where uh, the company is agriculture. And the technique is where they harvest hyacinths or um, invasive hyacinths, liquefy them, and reapply that liquefied material back to the landscape, uh, kind of mimicking the way nature intended for the system to work before we put the dike around it. Um, there are some other innovative technologies. I know uh, a year and a half or so ago, FWC put out a request for proposal, an RFP, um, and they received something like 65 different ideas and projects um, to address this. But I don't think many of those ever saw or came to fruition. I think a lot of that was uh, hindered by the cost. It was very cost prohibitive. So if this this proves successful in Lake Okeechobee, then they, these things could be implemented north of the lake, and then it should reduce the amount of uh, input that's coming into the lake that we're putting into the lake, correct? It should reduce the amount of chemicals that we're putting in anybody's water right. in the state of Florida. You know, the problem we face today is the governor is spending $725, $900 million a year for clean water projects, which are needed. But the reality is the state of Florida is paying contractors to go throughout the state in our bodies of water and dumping poison right in the water. Makes no sense. That's a, that's a lot to unpack. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and I really don't want to, so it's, this is, this is challenging because we don't, we don't want people, you know, coming over to the studio and, and firebombing us either because the, the spraying <laughs> issue is so contentious. And, and I think there's people that might even argue Mike's laughing his head off there. Jim's in big spray. What? <laughs> no, 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 Jim, Jim feels strongly, Jim feels strongly both ways that, uh, I realize that it is uh what's the, the favorite word, uh, intractable problem, right? The, uh, it's huge. It's 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 really tough to to deal with, and and we've sat in on probably half a dozen of these meetings this year, where folks often come in with um, on either side of that issue with an emotional bias about well, yep. why don't you just do that, right? There's some people that would love to take most of Florida lakes, just turn them on big concrete swimming pools. They're all crystal clear that they can go water skiing, and you have yep. other folks that don't want to touch them at all. And and somewhere in there, you know, when the folks are addressing their different biases to the FWC folks. Man, props to every one of them. They're always very classy. Yeah, but they're diehard tough. Yeah, but trying to explain, say, if you're on the harvest, the there's some folks just want to solve the whole thing with mechanical harvesting. And trying okay. to explain sometimes the scope of some of these lakes. And if we're addressing hydrilla, how fast it grows. It's like, and, and so you got cost, 
mechanics just it's almost unfeasible so that you know spraying might be necessary in some places if you're trying to control them but then you got other places where people have videos of them just what appears to be hosing down everything and Correct. we've got duck holes and things that we like to hunt that all of a sudden you go back and they're just, they're just one day they're there yeah the next week they're gone <laughs> yeah it's like wow. one one week before season it's all dead yeah. Right. And the reality is we're not going to stop spraying ever. Okay. We have to maintain because Absolutely. there's some areas that they cannot get in with mechanical harvesters or whatever tools are in the toolbox. But the right. reality is we got to quit doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And if you take Lake Okeechobee, for example, Lake Okeechobee's ecology today is not what it was prior to them straightening out the Kissimmee. They think that fixing the Kissimmee is going to fix that problem. That, that sediment on the bottom of the lake isn't going anywhere unless we have a drought, they have the funding there, and they can pull that sediment out. We can do controlled burns. We can have projects like aquaculture. You have to try other things, but, you know, the reality is that Big Brother gets involved up there in Tallahassee and drags things out, in my opinion, and that's why we can't find solutions quicker than we have. And the solutions being we need to try some innovation. Diversify. We need more so, and, tools in the toolbox. Bringing it back to House Bill 579, having advocated for a specific project for the last 18 months, I can attest to the fact that if you do have a new tool or if you do have a new idea, it is very, very, very hard for the average person with a good idea to not only bring it forward and get it recognized, but to make it work through the gauntlet of bureaucratic uh, process. It's, it's tedious, it's overwhelming. The average person doesn't have the wherewithal or the resources or usually the desire to go through what that entails. Um, well, Mike, it's don't you own, you own a couple of oil wells, right? Don't you? Aren't you backed by a multi-billion-dollar organization? Uh, I've heard I've been backed by everybody. Um, <laughs> I think it's look to, to avoid confusion. Mike is an ordinary fellow. He's he's a common man. He's one of us, and he really does hit above his weight class. But that is due to an inhuman amount of persistence and dogged determination and his ability to continue to make contacts. Um, but he is not at all backed by, you know, I'll back him, but you know, Mike, I got 20 in my wallet. It's all yours, brother. You know, it's like- <laughs> I want to, I want to mention something that's probably most important about this whole deal. So about two, three months ago, uh, I had the pleasure of going on a field trip with Mike Elfenbein and on the boat, I actually brought Lauren Mello, who campaigned the same time I campaigned. Each, although Mike and I have the passion for what we're looking for, I got to tell you, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the passion in Lauren Mello's heart. Because let me tell you, that girl, that woman, she's a ball of fire. I mean, she is from day one, I told her what we're looking for, and she has driven the train, called us day and night, multiple times in a day has talked to the right people. She just didn't blow us off. And I think that's most important. You know, a lot of politicians talk about the lake, but they don't know about the lake. They haven't been on the lake. And if they've been on there, it's a 10 minute tutorial. And they, to be honest, they're just there for a photo op and they really don't care. 
But Lauren Mello, she cares. That's a heck of a testament. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, amazing lady. She's um she's bent over backwards, not only to make sure that she's addressing the issue, but she's reached out to stakeholders at every single level to ensure that the right things are being done and that everybody affected is aware and has contributed to it. You know, uh, it's very important when you do projects this big that everybody wins because if somebody loses, the projects are doomed to failure. Um, so she's been, she's been amazing. Um, and I, in the world of politics where you just don't know anymore, um, I can tell you that, uh, representative Mello is about as solid as they come. We'd hope that she'd be able to join us tonight, but she's got family obligations with Thanksgiving being right around the corner. And we wanted to, yeah. we wanted to get this podcast done because of the timeliness of the issue. But if there's a way to bring her on in the future, as this bill moves along, I think that'd be fantastic. And that might be a good segue because right now you guys have the, the bill has been introduced into the house, but you can't just put it in one part of the house or one part of the, the, the legislature. It also has to be introduced into the Senate. Do you guys have plans to, to get a, 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 a companion bill introduced into the Senate? Yes, we're working on that diligently. We're going to, we're going to make that happen. Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, so I've learned, um, I'm still learning. I learn every day. I don't think I'll ever learn at all, but I've learned through this process that, um, like, like with every aspect of our day-to-day -day lives, not all, um, legislators are the same. And you, you really have to care. This really has to be important to you, but if it is important to you, how could you say no to clean water? And how could you say no to a process that helps improve the ecology of not only Lake Okeechobee, but the entirety of the Everglades? How could you say no to legislation that has the ability to create new jobs and economic opportunities um, while establishing new innovative technologies um, and improving agriculture? I mean, the reality is, is that this material that we're taking out of the lakes has the ability to improve the condition of the landscape, to improve the condition of our soils, uh, to improve the productivity of our lands and bigger picture, maybe even give farmers and agriculture an opportunity to stave off um, future development. If you're a legislator, how could you say no to those things? And you'd have to be a, a special person who really cares, who's really interested in making a difference in your community as an elected official to want to introduce this companion bill uh, in the Senate. In a past life, I, I did a little bit of lobbying. I wasn't paid, but for the insurance, in the insurance and investment business. And I found the whole process really bananas because it's, government is huge. And if you go to Tallahassee, it's almost like somebody put up buildings without the aid of blueprints and people are scattered all over the place. And the scope of government is so large that it's really difficult to get every legislator to understand your bill. And they can't because everybody wants a piece of them. So they have the various committees. 
you know, Mike and, and Raymond, or one of the things you're struggling with, and I wish Congress and or Representative Mello was here, I'd love to ask her if one of the biggest problems is just getting that time on target with the representatives. Do you know if that's an issue? So I'm glad you asked. The last week or so, I, I, reached, I, I reached out to you, which was kind of where this went on your radar, but I've reached out to a lot of people privately and just sent them a nice message, letting them know about this legislation, the people who I know are really concerned with these issues. And I've asked them to reach out to their legislator, reach out to your representative and reach out to your senator. Um, and I know a lot of people across the state, up and down both coasts, the middle of the state, north, central, south. And by and large, the responses that these folks are getting from their state representatives has been nothing but positive. Um, it's been very supportive. I've shared some of those messages with Raymond. He could attest to it. Um, and I think that Representative Mello in our conversations has found the same thing, especially from the people um, in her class, right? Uh, who she has closer relationships with. I would imagine I'm not going to speak for her, but uh, in her incoming freshman class, she's a freshman. And um, so, yeah, I would say there's been a resounding support. And I don't, I don't think there's anybody, especially not a legislator in Florida, that doesn't understand the importance and the value of uh, the health of our environment of Lake Okeechobee, of having clean water and uh, successful agriculture in our communities, right? Because without agriculture, none of us can eat. So, um, no, I don't, I, I, I see a lot of support. I've seen um, a lot of positive feedback. Um, I've learned things about other legislators and their connection to the lands. Many of them love to fish. Some of them love to hunt. Some of them love to fish and hunt. A lot of them are outdoors people. They like to spend time on canoes and kayaks. Um, some are bird watchers. Um, and more importantly is there's, it's been bipartisan, right? This hasn't been a partisan issue. Uh, there's been support on both sides of the aisle. Um, and I, I don't think water is a partisan issue. I think um, we, we all need clean water and a sustainable food supply uh, to exist. How do we help more people understand that clean water and we say clean water, but what we mean is healthy water. Uh, I think a lot of times when people hear clean water, they think I hold up my bottle of Zephyr Hills and that's clean water. Uh, but when it comes to our, our waterways, crystal clear water is not always uh, healthy water. And we kind of covered that a, a couple weeks ago with a, with our fisheries biologist how do we help the the general public understand that you know the tannic stain uh, some of our lakes see from cypress and the, just the natural occurrences around the bank that just because the water is brown doesn't mean it's dirty so raymond i'll let raymond chime in here because raymond does raymond mentioned the trip we went on and raymond if you ever have been to roland and marianne martin's marina in clewiston uh, in Raymond's office, he keeps a couple of jars of water. And I'll let Raymond tell you because it's, it's, it really makes the difference. So um, I have this mason jar that has, it's half full with sediment off the bottom of the lake. And then the, and the rest of it is actually filled with lake water. And as it sits on my desk for, I don't know, a week, it becomes roughly gin clear. 
but I'll, I, as I'm talking to people and trying to educate them, I'll take it and I'll invert it upside down and I'll say, okay, now that resembles a 20 mile an hour wind on Lake Okeechobee and now the water is completely dark and the photosynthesis process stops. But when I say it's gin clear, it's really not gin clear, of course, it's a little tannic in there. But, but like you're saying, just because the water's tannic from cypress or whatnot does not say that it's not healthy water. It's actually probably healthier than that Zephyr Hills bottle that you're drinking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think all too often when you hear uh, people talk about clean water bills and this and that, I think we, we get too confused with, you know, what clean water truly means. Um, and I, I just don't want that to get lost in the interpretation uh, because to see a lot of our lakes, if we went, we don't want to see a straight sand bottom either. No. Uh, we want the healthy native vegetation coming back, provide the cover for the fish and the food for the waterfowl and so on and so forth. We want that ecosystem built back up, the native ecosystem built back up for our, you know, native animals that are using the, the waterways. Correct. The reality is the state is trying to manipulate mother nature and you can't do that. They've done it with the Kissimmee River. They're doing it with Lake Okeechobee. They do it with every body of water to play around around development. But you do not play with Mother Nature. We've been trying to do that since the beginning of time. We still haven't learned our lesson. <laughs> That's a whole series of podcasts about the the dike and you know post hurricane. You know everything is always done with good intentions. Right? We're going to drain the interglades. That's a great idea. Oh no, it's a terrible idea. You know, it's just, <laughs> um, but now we're. That's the thing, right? We, as over the last century, a lot of steps were taken with the best of intentions that really had incredibly harmful uh, outcome impacts, right? We mentioned straightening the Kissimmee River, right? That was all done to spare people because they wanted to help with flood control until they realized that by straightening out the Kissimmee River, you, 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 you damn near wiped out everything south of Orlando, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> And think about that. We need to realize that whenever, before they straightened out the Kissimmee, if it rained in Orlando, it took two months, two months to get to Lake Okeechobee. It's two days now. That natural filter, that those natural bends and curves. And, and you know, I, I, that's, that's kind of a sore subject for me because they call it, what do they call it, Mike? The Kissimmee Restoration Project, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sir, you mentioned before that you lobbied for the insurance companies, right? Well, More for consumers, I, but yeah. Okay, so I sold insurance for 13 years and to restore is to put back all. The Kissimmee Restoration Project should not be named that. It's actually phase one because it's only a, a third of what the original river, uh, the Kissimmee River was, and they don't have plans on doing phase two or three. So the reality is that Lake Okeechobee continues to take the brunt of that pollution that comes down from the Kissimmee. Yep, it's this has been almost a part of the challenge of the podcast is that there's the Lake Okeechobee system is so huge and that there's there's a there's a lot of pieces and then Mike mentioned we have to take one bite at a time and that House Bill 579 is not desi- designed or intended to solve it all. It is one bite of that elephant and if I understood it correctly, the bite that we're trying that this bill is intended to do is create an environment where innovative technologies can be explored um, to remove 
specifically hyacinth, I guess, or other related plants, so that that additional biomass isn't adding to the other dozen or so headaches. And, you know, we, Mike, we've danced all around it. Can you tell us a little bit about that innovative technology the, the, that aquaculture is, is trying to, uh, to test out? Or I guess it has been tested, but really large-scale tests. So we're actually, uh, it, it, yeah, it's uh, so aquaculture, which is a specific project uh, we've been working on with FWC, uh, went through the procurement process. Uh, it has a contract and a purchase order was issued last month. Uh, in October, and essentially what it aims to do is harvest hyacinth, uh, in, in this case hyacinth, um, off the lake surface. It processes it on the lake, so there'll be a, essentially imagine a barge parked on the lake. The barge will have equipment parked on it, on top of it. You will feed that vegetation through that equipment on site as you're collecting it which removes some of the burden that has existed until now with aquatic uh, mechanical aquatic harvesting, which is you have to transfer that material from wherever you've collected it to wherever you're going to pile it. That material gets piled there and it, as it breaks down and decomposes all the nutrients that are in that material run back into that water body. So this project aims to harvest that material on site break it down into essentially, um, imagine a smoothie, you go to the smoothie shop, big green kale smoothie, um, and then you run it through a hose from the lake. In this case, the project's working with an incredible family, uh, the Fairs family um, and the Pierce family on their ranch. Is that, is that Brad Fairs and Matt Pierce? Yeah, Brad Fairs, right, okay. Matt Pierce. Um, great, amazing people who care about the land about about as much as anybody you know um we're going to apply that material back to that land and use it to grow hay and the intent is is that the hay will absorb the nutrients that we've put on the landscape that came from the lake from that aquatic vegetation and as they take up the nutrients the hay grows and on a 30-day cycle you would harvest that hay collect it and ship it out of the watershed to be fed to cows and the nutrients go with that's that's the gist of it the project should be going sorry that's pretty actually pretty easy to understand as opposed to piling it up on a barge you're you're just changing the state of the matter using it as fertilizer to grow hay and then it's simple the hay goes elsewhere it gets consumed by livestock i assume so yeah, it, essentially that's what it would do, right? And what what we're doing is it's not reinventing the wheel. It's it's what nature intended. So before we put a dike around Lake Okeechobee, when the lake filled up, it overfilled the rim, right? And if you look at a map of South Florida, much of what's now different communities throughout South Florida would have been submerged in water during the rainy season. The water levels would come up high aquatic vegetation would grow in the rainy season and as as the water withdrew in the dry season that aquatic vegetation would would die on the landscape and decompose and the nutrients would go into the soil and thousands of years of repetition of that process is what created that beautiful black gold that black muck that 
the agriculture community has depended on for so long around the lake. So when you when that dike was put up, that process was stopped. And imagine that was some 80 years ago. So all of the nutrients that would have been on the landscape have now accumulated in the lake. And as the landscape has continued to be farmed and used for agricultural processes, those nutrients have eroded over time. In addition to just natural processes like oxidation, um, the, the, the nutrient loads in our soils aren't where they should be. So in, in addition to removing excess nutrients through the hay as it's exported, we're also providing a benefit to the soil and improving the, the, the soil's makeup. Um, the hope is, is that not only will it improve the makeup of the soil, but perhaps it'll also improve our abilities on conservation of wildlife, where if we're improving the soil, we're also improving the forbs and the greens that our wildlife depends on um, and improving the health of our wildlife in addition to the health of our water and the health of our agricultural community. So could this be something that could be turned into a for-profit venture at some point? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I would hope that maybe we could offset the expense of what it may or may not cost to do this, right? So if, if for example, the tools that we use today to manage aquatic uh, vegetation, there is no return. Not only is there no return, but the reality is, is that we don't even remove the nutrients from the system that afford the plants to grow. So if we can find a way to one, close that circle and get the nutrients out of the lake and find a way to augment the expense of doing that, um, I think that would be the greater win. Um, but you know, before you, before you run, you got to walk before you walk, you got to crawl. So, um, but yes, I would say that there, there, there should be opportunities there um, to not only create economic opportunities, but also create economic opportunities that help those communities thrive. Um, I think that's, that's more important. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that never really actually crossed my mind in that way, but you're right. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be made for profit as long as we can uh, make it as try to make it as cost effective or more cost effective than, than the methods we're using now. Uh, and then we're encouraged to use it. Plus we're getting more out of it in the long term. Uh, but as we all know, everything in, in the end boils back down to money uh, where it comes yeah. from. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always about the almighty dollar. Absolutely. Right. Every step of this process about the almighty dollar from the, from the procurement to the, uh, to the employees and the staff that it takes to make it happen to the equipment. It's always about the almighty dollar. Um, and if we can find a way to improve the ecology of the lake, the economy of the lakeside communities, um, conservation of our wildlife, uh, flora and fauna, um, I, it's just a win-win all around. The reality is that like, like Raymond said earlier, right? It, you can't continue to do things the way you're doing them and expect to have a different result. So we need to try different things to figure out which one of those things could help us. Well, I just kind of want to double back to what was said earlier, where 
when the Kissimmee River was straightened, it took two months to get to Lake O, and now it takes two days. I just kind of want to throw it out there that Shingle Creek, which is what is considered the headwaters of the Everglades, is something like 300 miles from the Everglades. So having straightened that river, that water travels that fast. That's just insane to me. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you put it that and way. Don't forget, we're yeah. yeah. We've increased the nutrient loads, right? So from what nature intended, or from what the system would have been without the effects of man, we've increased that, right? We've increased the nutrient loads. We've created the canals and water conveyance systems that make living in Florida possible. And we take 100% of the water and put it in 50% of the storage capacity. That's that's a big deal. Um, so I think it's safe to say that development is a huge problem in all this as well. Or is it a contributor? Yes, I think so. I, again, I'm, all right, I'm going to try to do a very quick summary about the, the watershed. And, and please know I am not uh, a geologist or a, a, a hydrologist. But we already talked about how the, everything starts in the in, in the shing, in the Shingle Creek and flows south. And straightening it out um, sped up the rate at which everything flows. So anything that's suspended in the water is not having time to settle out. Then some of those things are being complicated by legacy phosphorus from, you know, boy, I really make sure I'm not throwing farmers under the bus, but farmers and ranchers did things before we knew uh, there were certain outcomes and technology and whatnot. Um, so we, we're still doing the legacy phosphorus. So you've got phosphorus that was added to the area. That's now being swept uh, to the lake at a real rapid rate because they've changed the rate of flow. All of that is then piling up. It's an, and then that additional, as we already addressed, that when you start changing the turbidity of the water, that then further eliminates a lot of the other filtering plants, uh, changing the the lake flow or lake level um, further degrades a lot of those native plants. Invasives may or may not do all the same work. Uh, and then things eventually flow because of flood control or whatnot. Sometimes we have to take that water and throw it out both sides of the state, which leads to compounding problems. And then further it flows down into the Everglades. Uh, and But, you know, when I to wrap this up, some of the, th- the things when you get south of the lake, like the STAs, right? The whole purpose of the STAs is to take some of this nutrient-rich water, store it, have plants grow and consume that that nitrogen and that and that phosphorus, so that the level of phosphorus that goes into the STAs is much higher than the water that's flowing out of the STAs. And if I'm not mistaken, that is also happening in some of the farming area down there with the sugar and whatnot, right? All those plants are taking the the phosphorus out of the water into the plant material. And then when the plant material is harvested and taken off, it reduces, it removes that phosphorus from the system. It sounds like what you guys are doing with aquaculture is just adding another way to remove more of that material from the system. There is, and you're absolutely right, Jim. And and there's, I want to be sure it's clear that the project we're doing is one innovative technology. 
House Bill 579 is not specific to agriculture or any other innovative technology. It's simply trying to pave a way to make other innovative technologies easily accessible and provable so that if they work, we can use them. Um, there's another guy out there. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. His name is Alan Stewart. He's working on some other technologies uh, that creates compost out of aquatic vegetation. So there's not the project we're working on. Sure. It's fantastic. It's great. And, and we hope to achieve great success and be able to contribute to the solutions. But there's a lot of different tools out there that that are available or can be built upon to improve our situation. And and that's the importance and the relevance of this house bill. Yeah. You know, thank you very much. And we should probably get into a call to action. What what can sportsmen and women or anybody listening to this podcast, if there was a single thing that they could do to encourage the passage of this bill, what would that be? Well, I think the reality is that they need to reach out, understand the bill and reach out to the legislature, just public officials. Just find out who your your representative is and send them an email saying, please look into this. I think this is a good idea. That's please right. support yeah, this bill. It's really simple, Jim. Um, there is a, and, and I can send you the link or I don't know how that works as far as you including it with the podcast, but there's a link, uh, myfloridahouse.gov where you can click on there and it'll tell you her, who all of your elected officials are. But for, and I know a lot of people aren't really, um, involved in the political world, but there is a distinction between, uh, our, our state representatives, which is what this bill is being presented by, and our federal representatives. So it's important that they recognize who their Florida House representative is and who their Florida senator is and send those two individuals um, a simple email. doesn't have to take more than three or four minutes or a couple of sentences. Uh, let them know that they are a constituent of theirs and that they are particularly interested in House Bill 579 and that they'd like their senator and representative to uh, support this legislation. Uh, email, a phone call. Uh, I always I always recommend to people to call their representatives to always take an opportunity to introduce themselves and be engaged with their elected officials so that their elected officials understand how important these issues are to them. And I think another thing that's important is just because they've never been to Lake Okeechobee or they don't live around Lake Okeechobee doesn't mean they shouldn't get involved because the reality is as these pilot projects work, right, this is going to expand, in my opinion, throughout the state of Florida. It's not going to be just focused on Lake Okeechobee in the future, but right now it's focused on Lake Okeechobee. These things expand to lakes near us like a popcorn yeah. in the Harris chain. Um, and I was going to ask sure. you to say, how does this affect or transfer over because we've talked a lot about Lake Okeechobee and Everglades, but that's only part of the water in Florida. You know, right. you have the St. Johns River, the Harris Chain of Lakes. There's what well, this state is covered in water. Yeah. Lake Apopka has got so, very similar problems. So you if, know. if the if how the does this spill over? If the techniques work the way I'm taking it, is it they can be applied other places once they're tested right. at Okeechobee? Correct. Mm. Absolutely. So one of one of the things that when we started uh, 
this process for the project, for the agriculture project in June of 2020, um, one of the things that the state first suggested to us was that we were uh, overachieving, that we should probably start this in some little retention pond somewhere. And I, I, I felt differently. I felt go big or go home because if we can implement this project and show success at the largest level possible in the state of Florida, every other lake is easy. So start with the problem, the big problem, and all the other problems become small. Absolutely. Yep. And, and Mike, you, you spoke about some links earlier. If you'll get those to me, I will put all that stuff down in the show notes and people can just save them the, the, any, the, the very little bit of work they would have had to do and make it even less. They can click directly on, directly on it wherever they're getting the podcast at and that'll take them where we want them to go so that they can speak to their uh, representatives and via phone call or email and, and tell them to support this bill. To, to, Raymond, to Raymond's point, um, just because you don't live or recreate around the lake doesn't mean that your representative isn't important. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, for House Bill 579 to become a law, it has to go through committees. So the legislators, you know, those three committees, the legislators sit around, let's just say there's a, let's just for the sake of this conversation, say the three committees that this bill has to go through is the agriculture committee, the environment committee, the appropriations committee. Your representative might be one of those committee members. So while your representative might not be specific to Lake Okeechobee, they might have the opportunity to make the decision that gets this to where it needs to be. So don't brush it off and say, well, you know, I, I live in Jacksonville or I live in Gainesville or I live in Orlando. Uh, you know, I, I live in Osceola. This really isn't important. It is. It's very important. And again, the lake might not be specific to you, but you might live on a lake that is important to you that has the same problem. So if, if you take three or four minutes out of your day to help this along somewhere down the road, it's going to come back to benefit you as well. I'm glad you touched on that. I was mentioning when I did some of the lobbying and we got to know um, back in my day, you know, uh, Representative Eisnagel and whatnot. And we talked to them about the, the scope of government. And they explained to me that, you know, a lot of government's very reactive as opposed to being proactive. And also explained that the overwhelming number of issues that come across their desk they don't get any emails. Phone calls are almost non-existent in this age, right? But when all of a sudden they start getting four or five phone calls, 20 or 30 emails, it doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound like very much. They start getting that much feedback from their local people. That moves something from possibly being unheard of or really low on the priority list right to the front. Somebody, you know, it's important. Holy cow, my phone's ringing. So for those that listen to the podcast, when Mike was mentioning, pick up the phone and call into the office, leave a voicemail, leave a message with the receptionist, and better yet, call and then send a follow-up email. Those are the things that really move the needles in state legislatures, right? Get your 
even though your person may not sit on that committee, what they in turn will do is they will go to the person in their political party who does sit on that committee and say, what's going on? And that's how you, that's functionally how you move things through the Florida legislature and then hopefully ultimately get them on the governor's desk for signature. You have to pick up the phone. Well said. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys joining us tonight. Before we let you go, we like to end all of our episodes with a, with a tip of the week. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll start us off and we'll go round table here and then uh, we can jump to you guys. If that's all right with you, if you got something you want to share for, with everybody. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with persistence. Uh, be persistent, whether it be uh, in scouting uh, for a game or just continually going out and, and uh, putting in the work and the time and the effort. Uh, persistence is key. What do you got, Jordan? I'm going to go with don't forget to utilize the technology you're provided with. Because like me and you talked on the phone today, I said, you know what? I have all these spots where I've seen ducks. We're talking about scouting. And then I'm like, Dad, come on. I, don't, I can't remember exactly where they were. Because I never, if I would have just marked them down right then and there, I know. And then looking back, I'm like, crap, now i got to figure out where I saw that at those ducks again. So utilize technology. Jim? I'm just going to dig into what I just touched on is that um, you may not want to be involved in politics because I, I frankly, and I was for a little while on a lobbying side, couldn't stand it. But I did it because I realized that you may not want to be involved in politics, but politics is going to be involved in you, whether you like it or not. Um, and we have, you know, we have a politician on our show, right, who's a commissioner down in Hendry County. Um, b- making the big bucks, right? I know that that is very much more a, a labor of love than it is um, th- than it is a business. But please pick up the phone, send those emails. That's all it takes. And if you're not willing to do that, maybe you might want to consider just being quiet on the overall issue. <laughs> Facebook just doesn't move the needle. Briar, what do you got? Mine's uh, networking. I mean, you you go out and duck hunt one day, and you ran into three or four boats at the boat ramp. You know, when you're done, say hi, something like that. You never know. You might meet somebody and become a friend, and especially when it comes to scouting, you can't be everywhere all at the same time. So if you got a buddy that's over some other spot than you, you know, share information. It doesn't hurt to talk to each other. Be polite about it. I mean, obviously, if he's put in the time to scout that spot, hey, man, pick up the phone, hey. Are you going to hunt there? Do you mind if I do? But, you know, just be friendly. You don't have to be a butthole about things and not share information. Yeah, You know, I think even networking can kind of tie back into House Bill 579 because, like Briar said, you meet somebody and somebody's like, oh, yeah, I love this. We're like, well, hey. There you go. You ever heard of House Bill 579? Call your representative about it. Yeah. Right. All right, Mike, Raymond, who wants to go first? Raymond, age before beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen yourself on this Zoom call, man? I tell you hey, uh, so mine's, mine's real simple. Don't be a keyboard warrior. To make a difference, get involved. Absolutely. I'll leave it that. I like that tip. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> How about you? How about a I, I, I would say don't back down. Um, don't 
uh, there's a fine line, but don't don't back down. If if you if what you're doing is the right thing, and uh, and and you and you know it, it's the right thing, and 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 you want to see it through, there's going to be a. I'm going to put it to you this way. I I guess this is PG-13 rated, but uh, you know, there's a saying: two steps forward, one step back. I, I have not found that to be true in this process. I have found the process to be uh, you're going to get kicked square in the nuts repeatedly. Just make sure when you fall, you fall forward and you'll be fine. All right. Well, you well know, gentlemen. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. I was going to say, I want to, I want to compliment Mike. Um, it's funny. I actually, I met Mike. I reached out to him after seeing some of the things that he would post on Facebook, ironically, and realized that, wow, that guy's different. It's not just, ah, it would be a combination of, ah, and let me bludgeon you with my hard data. And, yeah. I, and I reached out to him saying, hey, man, you've, you've got it. You apparently have an idea what's going on. You know, will you, will you provide me some education? And um, Mike has been incredibly useful in flattening my learning curve on a bunch of stuff. And I, I wish I, and I should have paid attention to some of his things about uh, walks awfully because um, I think we're kind of kindred that we do tend to bulldog through things. And sometimes you have to make exceptions for people that, they're just, they're just they're amiable. They're just not that way. They're they're not they're not drivers, and they won't respond to that. But uh, Mike, you've been I can't say enough thanks about in patiently enduring some of my questions, and 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 and, and at least in taking the time also to know like I can't just spoon feed you, but go in this direction, read it yourself, then come back because in forcing me to do the homework and do the research, um, it's really driven some things. It's really driven some things home, so I have, I, I believe, a, a greater understanding. And I wouldn't have done that had you just given me the simple answers. Um, but keep doing what you're doing, because I think that everybody in Florida, whether they ever know you or not, they're benefiting from it. And uh, Raymond, this is our first time meeting, but my guess is that if, um, you know, if, if, if Mike's bringing you, you into here, that I appreciate everything you're doing as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for the fine words. Generally, Happy Thanksgiving, guys. We appreciate you joining this evening, and uh, we look forward to to seeing House Bill 579 come become much more than just a House bill, and uh, really interested to see what it holds for the future of the ecosystems in Florida. Yeah. Don't forget to call your representatives and senators about it. We'll put those links right down there in the bottom of the podcast description so that you guys just get it the easy way, <laughs> if there really is a hard way besides what Mike's doing and actually going out there and working on the ground. <laughs> and once again, a shout out to Lauren Miller for making it happen. Yeah. And, and, and you can add this however you want, but I, I, I don't know everything. I'm not an ist. I, I don't have a degree in any of this stuff and anybody can do this. Um, you, you just have to want, and, and Jim, you know, when I started doing this, I was like a, bull in a china shop and um at fwc meetings i'd have law enforcement guys standing around me thinking i was going to go off the chain um when i first started getting engaged in this stuff 
and looking back at it, I, I've come a long way. I still have a long way to go. Um, but yeah, if I had started walking softer sooner, I might be a little further <laughs> along today than I find myself. So, but anybody can do this, man. You don't, this doesn't have to be your job. You just have to give a darn. You just, you just have to care. Um, and I believe that in the sportsman community, you're not a sportsman, especially guys that dedicate themselves to hunting and fishing. I mean, on a regular basis, you're not a sportsman. If you don't care, you just have to find the way to apply that caring to help make our world a little bit better, but it really doesn't take a whole lot. And I hope that people come away with that understanding because we could really, really, really use uh, some more rank and file. Your three minutes matters. Send that email. 100%. I appreciate you guys. Thank right, you. Peace it's great talking to you guys. Bye. Good night, guys. Thank you. All right, you gentlemen, have a good night. Good night.